Okay. Are any of you familiar with Bob Goff at all anyway? Have you ever heard of him or is, you listened to a podcast <laughs> earlier in an interview. Um, if not, let me just tell you just a reminder too that I'm just going to read it straight from the back is that Bob Goff is the founder of Love Does, which is the book I referred to just a minute ago. Love Does is his first book. This is his officially third book, but it's his second book in print. His second book got stolen out of with all of his briefcase and his computer and his wallet and everything so he completely lost his second book and so he says that's okay sequels are usually terrible anyway so this is my third book he likes to say this is his third book but officially this is his second book everybody always and um he gave all the money from Love Does, his first book, to create this nonprofit organization called Love Does that operates schools and safe houses and pursues justice for women and children in conflict areas such as Uganda, Somalia, and Iraq. Bob is a lawyer and serves as the honorary consul for the Republic of Uganda to the United States. He is an adjunct professor at Pepperdine Law School and Point Loma Nazarene University and lives in San Diego with Sweet, Mar Sweet Maria, who he refers to a lot in his book. That's his wife. Uh, he refers to her as Sweet Maria, which I think is so cute, near their adult children and growing family. So that's Bob. This book is Everybody Always, and he talks about living beyond fear or insecurities to just love everybody always and he tells us how and he tells us all different types of scenarios which I think is just so cute um, let me do this I have a lot of note cards for us today so we start with number one chapter one creepy people <laughs> so we all have somebody creepy in our life or um, he talks to just bad people, there are people, not bad people, I don't mean to say, people that are scary or things like that, people, which we'll get to later, that he even says, uh, just pure evil, who, we have to love everybody, but he starts right off with that caveat, helps us set a boundary, that fear, boundaries, like we do need to always set boundaries that are healthy, healthy for us, for sure if someone is toxic and it's just terrible to be around them, if they're abusing you, no doubt we don't have to be around them. We can set boundaries and we don't have to ever accept unacceptable behavior, but we're still called to love them. We're called to love Jesus, love our neighbor and love our enemies. So even people that creep us out or that have bad behavior, we're called to love them. We just don't have to then spend dinner time with them or things like that. So it's important that we set boundaries, but that we're, we're called to love. Now, with that caveat then, other than that, yes, allowing a wide berth for those people that we need to, yes, no doubt, use discretion. But everyone else, we should be pursuing in love. If there's somebody that we're estranged from or there's someone that um, we had a falling out with or there's someone that maybe uh, did us wrong and we decided that we hated them and we're never going to speak to them again, maybe it would be a good time to pursue someone like that, rebuild relationships, forgive others, accept forgiveness, build, rebuild those bridges. He says to use good judgment to not live in judgment. And I love that. Use good judgment but don't live in judgment. So we're not judging them. We're not, we're not the judge of people's lives. We're not the sheriff of people's lives. We aren't the justice around God is. God is the great judge. We're called to love them no matter what. And I just love that. He says, what kind of fears or insecurities are you battling that's bringing, that something is bubbling up in you? Why are you wanting to 
run away from that person or run away from the relationship or what in you is saying you're scared to go all in and love without reservation. Don't lose your way trying to help people find theirs, which I just love. It's like, okay, we are called to help and love and yes, it takes a community, but be yourself, try to love others. Sometimes our opinions get in the way of people seeing Jesus. He says his hope for us, his call in the last part of this chapter is go out, love everybody the best you can. And when people meet you or me, I want them to see the face of Jesus. And I love that. I just think that's so cool because that's what Jesus did. He loved everybody. He helped people. And not to mention, he ran around with sinners, just like you and me. We're all sinners. So the tax collector, the prostitute, the um, adulterer, the you name it, the murderers. I mean, he was running around with these people loving on them because sometimes the people that are hardest to love are the people that need it the most. We know this. We know it somewhere deep inside, but we still have fear and reservation. Well, what if they hurt us? Or what if they don't, what if they let me down? What if they don't live up to my expectation? And we put our fear as a barrier between us and that person in love. And that may be what they need the most is not your opinion, not your um, policing them, how to get them right, because often that's control. And we're trying to control others and manipulate them when really what we should be doing is just loving them. I love that. He says, you will not be, no, no, you will be known for your opinions, but you will be remembered for your love. Isn't that good? I want to be remembered for my love. I don't want to be known for my big opinions and how right I always am. If I ever am to any of you, please call me out on that. You know what I mean? It's like, wow, we all need to hold each other accountable in that. But, you know, we will be known for our opinions and remembered for our love. I just love that. Harder for them to see Jesus if their view of him is blocked by our opinions. I think I said that earlier, but anyway, it's worth saying again. Um, he never said God. God never said it would be easy. He said it would be worth it. It would work. His words are, he never said it would be easy. He said it would work. And I just love that. So as a reminder, we're called... Jesus calls us to love him, love our neighbors, and love our enemies. Enemies. So that's chapter one. Chapter two is meeting Carol. Meeting Carol. He talks a lot about sweet Maria. That's his wife. He talks a lot about his kids. And in two chapters, he talks extensively about this sweet lady named Carol. So back to Maria, sweet Maria. He and sweet Maria got married, and they bought this dump. They got it at a... a what's it called when you do a um, foreclosure Mm -hmm. and they bought this so you buy it sight unseen for a great deal well they bought it and he said the rats almost turned them in to (laughs) CPS or something like that like almost kicked in them out almost evicted him he was like there were rats there were roaches it was falling apart it was absolutely terrible anyway they fixed it up they lived in an RV in the driveway while they fixed it up for the first year this was their first year of marriage and they just kind of made it work in that first 10 years they flipped six different houses so they flipped that one moved into another and finally sweet Maria wakes up one morning and she's like I'd like to move This is from their sixth house. And he was like, well, are you going to take me with you? And she's like, yes. So they, he has a real cute way of writing all of these stories. He's so cute. The way he tells all of these stories, which I'll try to get to all to all of the stories, but I definitely won't get to all the details. I mean, they're so cute and funny. He's kind of witty, but he must have a really funny sense of humor. 
He says that when they got married, he made a deal with Sweet Maria. If you ever leave me, you have to take me with you. <laughs> I just think he's so cute. And so, in other words, you get his sense of humor even by that. He's just really cute. And he was like, well, where do you want to go? The house across the street is for sale. And she's like, sure, let's go there. So they bought the house across the street. And he said that they moved everything by putting it on skateboards and like rollers and dollies and red wagons. I mean, this is this family. They are so darling to me. Anyway, from the book, what the book portrays. portrays. And he said, you do business with buyers, but you do life with neighbors. So we interviewed everyone. Seven buyers came, and he decided, I want to interview. So it was a panel interview. His entire family, well, you know, his wife and him and his kids, they interviewed each buyer, and they unanimously decided on meeting Carol, or on deciding on Carol. So Carol became their neighbor. She was a widow, so somewhere in the 50s, mid-50s. And he says, in the Bible, it says, take care of orphans, take care of widows. And that was a huge call for them. They said, we want Carol. She's going to become a part of our family. We're going to take care of her. The kids went, and they just started showing her her um, their science projects and their school, everything, and going over there. I mean, she was just became a complete part of their life. And she was just one of these funny, like, oh, very like, wow, tell me more about that frog that you caught at school. Just so engaging and delighted to hear every story. Tell me again about that frog. I mean, just so cute. One of those neighbors that you just love, you just absolutely fall in love with. She even sat next to them in the the son's wedding in their backyard. She sat next to the family. Like she was up front with, as the honorary parents. I mean, how darling is that? So they absolutely fell in love with Carol and she called, he always called and checked on her because of course she's a widow and he just felt like that's important. I think we should all be loving our neighbors like that. If there's something we can give, even with it, it's like our spouse and the single people or the widows, like is there some way that your husband or your boyfriend can help with somebody that you know that needs to hang a TV or needs to hang a whatever or needs to pick up a heavy box? Like we should be helping our neighbors even in that way too. So the husband and the wife, which I think is cute, would help Carol. So not only were the kids going over and loving on her, but it was a, a mutual thing. Anyway, he would call and check on her. Both of them did, Sweet Maria and Bob. And Bob called one day and she said, Bob, I have bad news. I just left the doctor and I have cancer. And he was just like, I'll be right there. So he stopped on the way home for walkie-talkies. How cute is that? And he gave her a walkie-talkie and he was like, be not afraid. In the Bible, over 300 times it says, be not afraid. And he says those are three of his favorite words that he always says, be not afraid. And so he gave her the walkie-talkie and he was like, we'll stay in touch like this. If you need anything, you just you know, walkie-talkie me or whatever you call that. You just buzz me. So he'd be over and he'd be like, Carol, is that you? You know, and she'd be like, Bob, is that you? So just adding this cute humor and taking some fun into her otherwise really sad news. The kids went over. They were making her life just fun. They took her to appointments. They just really leaned in in this time, this hard time for her. He says, you can notice like there's fear or there's something that you're that's bad news but don't let fear call the shots remember who's calling the shots be not afraid god's calling the shots and he says that when you have this mentality or attitude you have a quiet confidence and also a contagious hope and that's what he feels like he gave to to um carol through this time brings us to chapter three love everybody always 
He talks about having a purpose versus a plan. So stop waiting for a plan and just go out and love everybody. He said that so many people wait and hold on for a plan rather than just loving recklessly and loving everybody without a uh, without wanting something back, without an expectation or without having say have you ever heard that quote the sun never says to the earth you owe me and look what happens with a love like that it lights the whole sky it's just so sweet because it really does like you want to light up the people in your life you want to light up someone else's world you don't want to be the sunshine that's like now I've given you and you give me back it's like no no just light someone's world up just be the sunshine be a ray of sunshine be love he talks about not just being kind or being loving but becoming love. And I love that. He, that's sort of his thing. And that was uh, chapter one or book number one, Love Does. It said it's an action. Love does. And so you're becoming love. You're doing love. You're loving others as you're uh, becoming like that's your whole self. So stop waiting for a plan. No one expects you to love flawlessly, but we can love fearlessly, furiously, and unreasonably. So sometimes people would say, well, she's hurt you, or he's hurt you, or that's ridiculous. But sometimes what we're called to do as followers of Christ is to, is un, uh, uncultural or countercultural and counterintuitive. It's not what naturally you would do. You might naturally write them off and never speak to them again. But sometimes it's good for us on both ends to make amends and to forgive both sides. It's important to pursue people, especially the people that are difficult to love because sometimes that can change your life and theirs. And not to mention, God is at work through things like that. Sometimes he puts us through, he lets us go through things that we can overcome so we're stronger for it. So it's really important to love unreasonably. It's okay. Just love anyway. What's the worst that could happen? You love somebody. Nothing could happen from that. As long as you don't have expectations. When you have, when you're in your ego and you're loving someone, and we'll talk about that later too, is, uh, motivation motives. Anyway, but, um, love furiously and unreasonably. Each of us is surrounded by neighbors every day, every place we go. We're always somebody's neighbor. So it's not just my next door neighbors. But it's every time I go to the store, every time I'm teaching a group fitness class, every time I'm with you girls, every time, it doesn't matter, but every person I come into contact with, that's my neighbor. And I need to treat them like that. I need to treat them that I love them and with respect. Also taking time to look into people's eyes and to open your heart and not be so guarded. Sometimes people just need to be heard, even if it is just for two minutes. I'm not saying go to the grocery store and be codependent and Building your life. No, no. I mean, there are safe places to share your, your thoughts and feelings, but sometimes people are just sharing with you just that idle chatter. It's okay to just be sweet back to them. Don't be so hasty and rush off and, oh yeah, uh, bye and be ugly. Why not in that same amount of time with that same amount of energy, be sweet, become love. There's nothing bad that could happen with that or smiling at someone just for an extra second and just say, that really meant a lot to me. Thank you for taking the time to do that. Because so many times we take things for granted and we just go rather than just stopping. And that took me what, maybe that took me four seconds to say, thank you so much. That meant a, a lot to me. I really appreciate you. Bye. That's a totally different feel. That's being loving people that could make someone's day. What often stops us from loving our neighbors is fear of what will happen if we do. And I kind of talked about that earlier. It's like, 
reckless abandon. Just love people. Don't worry about if you get hurt. Throw them a parade. <laughs> he is the guy who you might know, if you know anything about Bob, you said you kind of do. Balloons are sort of like his thing. He has, he's all about balloons. He says they're the universal symbol for happiness, congratulations, um, celebration. They're, they're the universal symbol for love. Is He kind of claims that. So he takes balloons with him everywhere he goes. And he's known for this parade that he's thrown now over 22 years in a row. On New Year's Day, he throws a parade for his neighbors. It started with just seven or eight neighbors, and it's grown now to like 700 or 800 or 900 people. I mean, he throws this huge parade, and it's so cute because even one year they uh, queened, or they crowned, they crowned someone a queen every year, and one year they crowned Carol the queen. I can't say that quite. (laughs) Let me try again. Carol was the queen one year. And she was so cute, and even into the grocery store, people were still bowing down to Carol, you know? She was the queen of the parade, and waving, and the whole thing. And so this year when she got so sick, they were like, he asked God, please let my friend last one more parade. Please let her make it to one more parade. And so she was sick, and she she did get to make it around a little bit. Seven months later, the doctor said, prepare. You are, this is it for you, and just kind of, just make her as comfortable as you can. So everyone came. They made her as comfortable as they could. She ended up lasting a few more months and did make it to the parade. And during those months, those last months, Bob asked her, is there anything, Carol, on your bucket list that you just haven't done? She was like, I've never toilet papered anyone. He was like, toilet papered somebody? Well, let's go do it. And she was like, okay. So he said he bought all this toilet paper. Sweet Maria came with another dozen rolls, and they toilet papered their neighbor's house. And he said she had a really strong arm even. And they had a blast. The police rolled up, and they're like, what are you doing? This is not allowed. And they kind of were like giggling. And he sort of winked and let let them know slightly like what the problem or what the deal was. This was her last hurrah, possibly, literally, and it was. And they were like, okay, you know, ha-ha have fun, but no more of that, Missy, you know, and so they left, and she walkie-talkies him, she's like, Bob, I really want a hot dog, that has to be a special hot dog, he's like, I'll go get it, so he went to like five different supermarkets and tried to find the specific hot dog, at this point, she'd barely been eating anymore, she got this weird hankering for a special hot dog, Sweet Maria made it up, a big thing, and they fed her teaspoon at a time, this last bit and that was her one of her final meals and she did end up making it to the parade they uh did they situated her to where everybody in the parade came through her house and said their final goodbyes gave her hugs balloons gave her flowers i mean i have goosebumps it was just the sweetest thing and she ended up passing away that week which is so sad but also so sweet he said this week she got to have two parties and that's what neighbors do you throw your neighbors parades you throw them parties you take care of them when they are sick or when they're happier when they have a baby um i think there are so many ways that we especially as young women we have friends that are in the young woman zone either they're single so we need to go and help when we can because they don't have a partner in crime or maybe they're single with kids because of a divorce so that's where we can help too hey listen i know you had three big meetings this week and you're stressed you're kind of just coming up for air i want you to sit down put your feet up and i'm going to come over and vacuum the floors and make dinner for the kids come over and really show up 
Some people get bothered a little bit by you texting and saying, how are you girl? Just know I'm here if you need anything. That's so nice because you were being thoughtful. It is. I think we could go the extra mile. I think we could go bring the hot dog over and feed it to them spoon by spoon. I think we could literally help people. I think also women that don't have kids yet too that are just lonely. I think a lot of people are just getting kind of like there's that fellowship that we're needing. A lot of us, they say that we are the most connected we've ever been and also the least connected that we've ever been because we're the most connected. It's a false connection on social media. Yes, we're connection, connected and it's fun to be in touch, but I think it goes deeper than that. We need to remember that that's not a, um, what's it called, a replacement for real quality time, one-on-one, -on -one. how are you, look into my eyes, look into your eyes, girl time, let's go on a walk, let's actually tell me what's going on. Um, so that's being good neighbors, I think, living, uh, living out the love for our neighbors. He talks about a yellow truck next. So when he graduated law school, he bought this yellow truck from his dad. He paid him the cash and the dad walked him out and said, don't forget, son, you'll want to change the oil. And he was just like, just grated his nerves. You know how I mean? You know, it's just like, always telling me what to do. I just, I'm a man now. I graduated law school and I'm gonna, I'm getting married to sweet Maria and uh, well, that didn't go so well because he started to rebel. You know, he never changed the oil in that truck ever over a hundred thousand miles white smoke billowing out every time he went to see his dad now you'll want to check that oil he drives home a point that often people don't want to be told what they want tell them who they are you are a strong confident man i am so proud of you son i'm glad you bought this truck i know you'll take great care of it or something like that it doesn't have to even be passive aggressive you don't even have to say that you can just say i'm proud of you son or i'm proud of you friend or whatever people don't want to know what they want don't tell them what they want tell them who they are i just love that people are sick of hearing you'll want to go out for this sport you'll want to date her you'll want to date him you'll want to uh you'll want to all that stuff you get the point you want to go to law school you'll want to graduate early blah, blah, blah. it's like no god told abraham you will be the father of many nations God told Sarah, you will be a mother. God told Noah, you will build this ark. Like, you will be a sailor, basically. It's like, wow, he told Moses, you will be a leader. He didn't say, you need to work on that speech impediment and you need to, what? no, 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 you're gonna be a leader of this nation. What? He told them who they were. That's more impactful because I think that he says, are you wanting somebody to be around you? Faith or compliance, basically. Faith or compliance. Are you encouraging faith or compliance? I just, I love that. Telling what, tell, excuse me, telling people what to do or trying to control them helps them find new ways of being dumb. <laughs> Which in other words, it helps them rebel. He said, I was smart and I knew how to change the oil and I knew I should. It made me, for me, I knew I was rebelling, but still it was like I was, just to spite my dad, I was doing that. So often people do rebel, even when it makes, it's dumb. It's not logical at all. So don't even do that. And especially if you do on accident and you see that the response is a rebellion, immediately change your behavior. 
and learn from that too because we don't want to be people that are constantly um, learning but not applying knowledge. Wisdom is applying the knowledge. Knowledge is what we just, we're learning, but we want to be strong-willed women who apply the knowledge that we get. He talks about this uh, truck, of course, then it gets stolen, a homeless guy's sleeping in it for half the time, like he, he trades it out, it doesn't have lights, it doesn't have locks, it's just like unbelievable. So this whole story, a homeless man is sleeping in it, every day while he goes to work, a homeless man comes and like gets in and then when he gets out, he's like, they switch, they barely say anything, and then one day after like three or four months, he totally trashes the truck. But there were no, and he said, I never saw him again. It was shame that makes you run away, shame that makes you feel like, oh my gosh, I totally blew it. I had a relapse. There were beer cans everywhere. He tore off some of the um, knobs. He smoked in it, I and mean, he totally trashed the truck. Of course, part of that was Bob's fault for leaving it unlocked and letting this guy, but he also felt so sad for his friend because he said, oh my gosh, we've become friends over these last few months. And now he feels like he doesn't even have words for me. He feels like he would have to explain himself. And that's what shame does to us. It takes away um, our feelings of freedom with people and having that unconditional love. You feel like it is, but he talks about the prodigal son, how the prodigal son went out and did shameful things, but he came back to the father. So he said, no matter what, come back to the father. You will be received. You are always loved. You're loved unconditionally. Even if it's not with human, because humans, we make mistakes. We're all human and we're not perfect, but God, the eternal father, he will always embrace you and take you back. So just remember that he says, when you're making a mistake, go back to God. Don't go away from God. He said that was really great message for him. <laughs> Yellow truck to limo driver. So we're all about the cars right now. Chapter five is on the limo driver. He, he talks about going to the, uh, which one is the D Disneyland or Disney world in Florida? World. So he gets to go to Disney World because his friends uh, or some people called and asked him to speak at this big event. And he was like, Disney World? I'm in. Count me in. So he gets to the airport and all of a sudden he's walking. He says, I'm a yellow cab guy. But I walk out and there's this sign, Bob. And he's like, ignore Bob Goff. And he was like, well, hey, they've paid the cash. I'm going to do it. I'm going to ride in a limo for the first time. He'd never ridden in a limo. And so the guy's like, hi, who are you? He's like, I'm Bob. Yeah, but who are you? He's like, oh, I wish I could tell you he's the inventor of medicine, but I'm just Bob. He's like, okay, let's go. So he goes and he starts asking him, you know, this guy sounds like a total character. He's like rolling down the window, sprawling out, sticking his head out the window, just having a ball. He's like, tell me a little, about, about, a little bit about yourself. And he's like, well, I've been dating this girl for like 10 years. We live together over here. Um, I have this, I have whatever. And he was just like, well, have you ever written in the back one of these things? It's great. He was like, no, I get fired. He was like, that's okay. You're retiring next week anyway. He had already told him that. He was like, pull over. So he pulls over and he switches with the limo guy. He's like driving him around. <laughs> and he's like, this is a blast. He gives him a big hug and he carries balloons and medals with him wherever he, like almost wherever he goes so he gets out and he obviously didn't get off the plane with balloons because you you know so he has these medals and he gives him a medal and he's like you are brave you are courageous you are fun and he was like we had a blast remember you're building he talks about the magic kingdom and he says you're building well excuse me don't build 
a castle when you can build a kingdom. You're advancing the kingdom of God with the fun and the smiles and the let loose, you know, the, just let loose and love people. He goes, when he went home, I'm sure he, he didn't say, oh my gosh, I met this really great Christian guy who knew the gospel front and back and taught me new Hebrew and new Greek and shamed me for living in uh, sin with my wife or, or my girlfriend of 10 years. He probably hopefully went home and just felt loved and felt fun and felt light. That's how we want to talk to people. And he said, when I went to Florida, that was my only time, I knew I loved it. He goes, you know what? I love it. It's terrific. You know why? Because you're terrific. He told the guy that. And he goes, I think that's how we are with people. We make a connection. Oh, I met this person from Mexico. Or I met this person from Canada. And they were terrible to me. So I hate Mexico. Or I hate Canada. Or whatever. He's like, no. This, first of all, that's a, a gross or overestimation, right? A generalization, maybe is a better word. But... It is human nature, so why not represent everything that you are and the kingdom of God with a, you want to make sure that people feel that it's terrific and that you're terrific and that the God that you love is terrific. Do you know what I mean? We want to be terrific people, and I, I thought that really, he hit that home. I thought it was just so cute. Our job is to love, not control their conduct. Uh, people don't grow, I love this, people don't grow where they are informed. They grow where they are loved and accepted. So I love that. <clears throat> we are called to bring heaven to earth. So that's uh, our call in Matthew, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. We're called to bring heaven to earth. Which brings me to my next point. Skydiving, heaven to earth. You're jumping out of heaven to earth. He talks about God with us, Emmanuel. We know that Emmanuel, well, Maybe you don't. I learned this recently that Emmanuel means God with us. God with us. So God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to be with us in the human experience. And then when Jesus left, he left us the Holy Spirit to be with us all the time. So we have the Holy Spirit all the time with us, guiding us, leading us, maybe giving us a little prick. Hey, that one didn't go so well or do this or giving you a little bit of a, you know what I mean? Guidance, but also love, but also, um, what's the other word I'm trying to say? Counselor, right? Um, he says that he then jumped out of heaven to be with us. So he decided that he wanted to do that with his son because Adam, his second son, or maybe third son, is very adventurous. And he decided he wanted to start skydiving. So he's like, okay, well, I'll go with you to all the practices. And he went. He would see him jump, and he's like, pull the shoot, pull the shoot. You know, he's like way up in the air, and you obviously can't hear him. This guy sounds like the craziest, silliest, funnest dad ever. I don't know if funnest isn't a word. The most fun. <laughs> so I love that he's so fun and encouraging, and he's always with him. He's like, I just want to be my, with my kids no matter what they're doing. I don't care what they're doing, but I want to be there. Finally, he goes, well, then I want to jump out of the plane too. So he, while his son was at school, he took skydiving lessons, and the next time they went out, he put on his backpack and his helmet and everything. He's like, let's go. He's like, Dad, what are you doing? He's like, I'm going with you this time. He got this big grin on his face and he jumped out of the plane with him. And he's like, that's what it truly means to be with the people you love. is to be interested in what they're doing and then be with them in it. So not just like, tell me about your homework. 
oh, that's interesting, like get down and sit with them and maybe keep them company. Tell me about the math you're doing or tell me about the book you're reading or let me sit down and read with you while you're reading or um, with our spouses, with our, um, everybody we love, with our neighbors, with anybody, just be with them. Try to engage in certain things. I think that makes people feel really close and intimate and I think it really goes a long way for sure. He says, knowing people doesn't mean you're with them, so be present when you're with them. Knowing them doesn't mean you're with them. Oh, I love that. You can know someone, but you're not even present. You're not being actually with them. Don't try to teach them. You don't need a plan. Just show up and grab a parachute. (laughs) I love that. Just jump out of the plane. A day at the museum at the Wax Museum. (laughs) It doesn't matter what our faith looks like, it matters what it is. Have you guys ever been to a Wax Museum? So apparently this guy loves, you have? I think I have. Is it so cool? Mm I have, yeah. Is it awesome? Is it kind of freaky? It's kind of freaky. Yeah, Yeah, that's what, (laughs) the way he describes it, I was like, I don't think I would like that. So there are these wax people that, of all these famous people that have lived and so you go and there are like presidents and he says he took his kids because they were in D.C. and a meeting got canceled. And he's like, well, let's go to the wax museum. He loves the wax museum. They're like, okay, dad, sounds great. So he goes in and he must be a big goofball because he says they were like, dad, act your age. He's like, watch this. So he goes and he's like posing by uh, George Washington. <laughs> and these two old ladies come and he's just like, oh, crap. I better stay still because if I move... I'm a lawyer, and I know that they could sue me for all I got if I give one of them a stroke. So he was just like, so they were like poking, pulling his finger, like, you know, and he was just like still. And his, he said his kids bolted for the exit. They're like, we are out of here. We can't see this go down. And so later they kind of walked away, and he's, he like kind of steps down, and they're like, what? You looked so, you know what I mean? It's just hilarious. He goes, it taught me a lot about my faith that day. You can put on a good game. Like, I was a good poser. I'm a really good poser. But it doesn't matter what your faith looks like. It matters what it is. It matters what you truly are doing. Are, are you a good poser? Or are you actually... Check your motivation. Check your real... Uh, what your life really looks like. The fruits of your life. Are you really a good person? Or are you a wax man? LOL is what I wrote. Um... Basically, trade the appearance of being close to God for the power of actually being close to God. Let me read that again. Trade the appearance of being close to God for the power of actually being close to God. That, to me, is huge. Because when we tap into the power of God and we know that we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we can do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine because why? We're tapping into unlimited source, unlimited power. We have unbridled potential, unlimited potential. But when you just look like you're just awesome, I think you're in your ego when we edge God out, the E-G-O, right? But when you're in God, with God. That's power, true power. Quit taking, uh, talking a big game and go live a big faith. I think that's cute. Also to live a life worthy of the calling that you've been given. He talks about the calling. Remember whose calling it is. It's God's calling on your life. 
It's not your calling. It's God's calling. You've been given this purpose, not a plan. You have free will, and we can carry out this purpose. But we have, we have an amazing way of tapping in what is the desire in my heart. And remember, when you go back to desire, we've talked about this before. Desire. D, D-E, of, sire, father, of, the father. So if the desire is in your heart, then know that that alone implies the power to carry it out and the fact that you're worthy of it. So it's God's calling. It's not your calling. So let God help you with it and let him give you the power to do unlimited things with it. The pizza place, he talks about Chuck E. Cheese and he goes on for like three pages of the loudest place that serves pizza. They must manufacture noise in the back room. He says that they probably sell their noise to NASA. I mean, he goes on and on. He has the cutest way of describing this loud place. And then you start to gather that it's Chuck E. Cheese because then he talks about they have a mouse as their mascot or a rat. And he was like, who in their right mind would say a rodent? He was like, a lawyer did not think of this. <laughs> There's a giant rat. Anyway, he's going on and on about Chuck E. Cheese. And he's like, oh my gosh, what we, let me read that in a minute. He talks about going on and on, gathering for years. He's been saving these tickets, right, to trade them in. He goes with his kids all the time, goes to every birthday party. He's so excited about these tickets. He finally saves up all his tickets. He has over 500 tickets. He takes them to go trade them in, and you know what he got? Gets a pencil. He's like, a pencil? And so his tagline here is, what we've spent our time collecting might not be worth it. So remember too, what are you collecting? Is it worth it? Is it actually eternal or is it just external junk that we're getting in this world? Is it the world or is it eternal? So what are you saving up your points? What are you collecting? Are you collecting experiences? Are you collecting people? Are you collecting love or are you just collecting things? Not that things are bad, by the way, they aren't. I mean, we're I'm not saying that as long as they aren't becoming false idols or you're idolizing these things, you're not being obsessed with these things or promotion or success or whatever. He says, people who are becoming love stop saving tickets. You're not collecting tickets. You're not saving for a prize. You're just becoming love. You're loving with reckless abandon. You're not keeping score. And he says, bright lights don't need spotlights. When is it that you overstate what you do? I think we all may be guilty of that. Besides one person here, probably Cody. She never overstates what she does. She's so humble. But, and actually, I don't know anything about y'all either. Emily, you don't either. But anyway, for sure, Cody is just so, you know what I mean? But I think that I sometimes, and it's easy too with social media, because I think we're trying to promote our brand and promote this and promote whatever. But I think it's really a slippery slope. And it's very, you have to be mindful of every motivation too. Sometimes it's like, okay, did I over promote myself on that? Or why, I just love that. It just gives you so much confidence. Bright lights don't need spotlights. 
Also, remember, this is an extra, is that one candle does not lose its light by lighting another candle. So I don't lose anything by lighting you on fire and lighting you on fire and lighting you. I have only created a bigger fire, a greater light. So just remember that too when you go to encourage other women. We want to be women that encourage each other and lift each other up, that are always building to the sisterhood. We want to create a good, strong, healthy sisterhood. And with each time that we light another woman up, men too, but since we're here in the sisterhood tonight, we are contributing greatly to the human experience, to our world, and to our sisterhood. So it's really important that we keep doing that without reservation and also without expectation. You're not giving, I'm not giving to you and loving you and helping encouraging you so that you'll pat my back later. I'm just helping you because I trust that God's got this. He's the greatest networker. He's put us together and us together. He knows what he's doing. I'm called to love. That's it. He'll take care of the rest. He always does. That's just the laws of God that he takes. The more we give, the more we receive. That's the point. But it has to be from an energetic level. It has to be from a humble and giving place, a truly giving place. Uh, someone, I didn't know I was going to say this, but um, did you ever hear that story about um, uh-oh, what was his name? The One of the very famous preachers who just died a year or two ago, um, Bill uh, Older, anyway, oh my gosh. He was in Tennessee, so famous. Anyway, big preacher. Oh, Billy. Billy Graham. Graham. Okay, <laughs> back in the, like, the 20s or the 30s, he, there was an offering uh, basket coming around, and he put in, a 20 which was a lot of money back then but he actually gave a hundred dollar bill on accident he thought it was a 20 and later he told his wife he said oh my gosh I put a hundred dollar bill in the collection plate and she goes well that's too bad because you'll only get credit for the 20 that you put in not credit but you only get return back because we we receive what we give right <laughs> and it's like wow that was so powerful because it is the energy of it it's the vibrations it's how are we giving um so anyway and actually jackie taught me that currency right the current the or the yeah the current and the flow of money currency that's why it's even named that so just remember being in the flow now we're definitely not talking about money we're talking about love but it's the same thing because it's all a flow of vibration it's all a vibrational and a frequency so just remember why are you giving are you collecting tickets with what you're doing we mistakenly try to quantify how much we love god he wants our hearts not our help he says our loves our lives will never be about Jesus if we make it all about ourselves. So even the fact that basically um, earlier when I said uh, helping and how much we're helping like advance the kingdom or things like that, like, okay, that's great and wonderful. But had he gone to that limo driver and said, God loves you and God this and God that. And what about in Hebrews? It says this and Revelation, it says that. And he's going on. He goes, what if I got home to sweet Maria tonight? And I just said, I told people about you 15 times today and I said your name 55 times she would be like you know kind of <laughs> weirdo right no one needs a report especially God because he's with you all the time he knows everything you do so he knows first of all your motivation he knows your motives and um, he also knows when you do share love with others he also knows when you tell him you know his name so don't quantify things he doesn't need your help he needs your heart when you're tempted to boast, remind yourself it's not about me. So 
even when you're blessing a meal or when you are, um, even like stuff like this, me talking to you, it's important that we always ask God to come in and speak through us, that this is for his glory, that this is, it's not like if you get asked to say a prayer, that it's you doing a public speech. It's that you're a vessel for God to move through you. And I think that's a lot of freedom because that helps us tap into the power of God and let him work through us rather than us restricting our own lives by making it about us. Well, what if somebody talks bad about me? What if I don't say it right? What if I, what, what? That's all fear. So remember, we're letting go of fear and we're just loving effortlessly. He talks about uh, from the lighthouse window up next, everyone hits a couple of wrong notes. Just keep playing your song. So he talks about Greg that Greg and, and Bob were in elementary school practicing for their recital. And it was just the two of them. And they were absolutely, he said, I practice and I practice and I knew the song, but I, he got stage fright. Greg came out, he was perfectly dressed. He had his hair just so. He walked on stage, elementary school just did the whole thing perfectly without a hitch standing ovation I mean it was just over the top Bob got out and was like first of all so overwhelmed that Greg was so perfect and he was in his he said he looked like Mr. Rogers he was in a little sweater and he just embarrasses mom bought him this sweater and he sits down and he was like and then he said he ended with just his forehead on the keys <laughs> he was so deflated and so sad and so ashamed and so embarrassed and he said I quit piano that day years later he was in school where he was across his dorms were across the music hall so he just wandered in one day and there was a piano and he sat down and he played it with music memory right or finger muscle memory he knew the song he played it but there was no stage no audience no spotlight, no anything to make him nervous. So just remember that who you're playing for too. Don't let the stage get in the way. Even if you, if God does elevate you to being on a stage one day in front of people or anything like that, that's great. It's not about you and it's not about the stage. It's not about the audience. It's, it's about God and the song you're delivering or the speech or whatever. I think that really helps. He says, are you, are you, well, no audience and no spotlight, but... People expect perfection sometimes when you're up there. He says, you need to let loose and do improv jazz, which I think is really cool. Just play jazz in their life. You don't have to have something, um, what's it called, when you memorize. You don't have to have something memorized for them to say a script for someone when they're going through a hard time. Just let God move through you. Improv jazz. I love that. He was like, don't worry about a recital. Just do that. Otherwise, we can end up playing to the wrong audience, he says. Three green lights. We don't need as much confirmation as we think we do. Basically, he flies a lot. He flew over half a million miles last year. Well, when he wrote this book, so I'm sure it's way more now. So he also flies his own pilot, or he has his pilot's license, and he also flies his own plane sometimes. He does commercial and the other. So he spends a lot of time at the airport making friendships. Uh, I'll tell you about Adrian up next, but for now, three green lights. He was flying his own plane, or his plane, I guess it was his own plane. He got two green lights to land at the rear uh, wheels were down, but the nose wheel was not down. And so he was like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. He called Sky uh, Control, or what's it called? Um, radio Control? It's Control Tower. And they were like, 
oh, I can't see you. It's too foggy. And he was like, you can't see me. Like, is it down? He's like, I don't know. He's freaking out. And he calls back in like five minutes and he's like, is it down? He's like, I can't see it. Are you declaring an emergency? An emergency? He's like, I declared an emergency 10 minutes ago in my pants. <laughs> I definitely don't know what to do. Like, am I going to do a crash landing? Am I going to, is this it? I haven't even called my wife. I mean, I'm supposed to be home for dinner in 10 minutes. <sighs> he's like, there is no other option besides land the plane. He had the two rear wheels, so he put his faith in what he knew which what we can do, we can put our faith in what we know is there. He landed, the nose was down. It was a nickel, a five cent light that was out. He goes, so just remember, you do have a lot of green lights. God has given you so many green lights. And last time we talked about big magic, we talked about a lot of confirmations or God winks or magic or intuition, whatever you want to call it, or inspiration, I mean. That is what he's calling it is a green light. We have green lights in our life. We have a little sign or a little wink from God. Trust those green lights that you've been given. Sometimes we want like a third and a fourth and a fifth and an eighth, and we've already gotten 10 green lights and all of a sudden, but God, if you'll just make a red car pass me right now, I'll know that it's your will that I do this. <laughs> it's like, no, stop waiting for all of these green lights. Trust in the green lights that you already have and go land your plane. <laughs> the green light. He gives us the green lights he wants to at the time. What green lights do you have? Bank on those and land your plane. Okay, I pretty much said that. So I just want to make sure I had it right. Also, one last thing. All opportunities come with expiration dates, which I love that. I think that's really cute and it's a great reminder. Sometimes it's what we talked about last time in Big Magic. It's like, okay, the inspiration has come and knocked and said, would you be mine? And it's like, oh, 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 maybe if I, and you keep waiting and waiting and all of a sudden the inspiration is already over at your next, a friend down the road. <laughs> Last one, best one. Jesus often uses blind spots to reveal himself to us. Um, Bob is going blind in one of his eyes and he started, he woke up one day and he was blind in one eye and he was across, he was in Uganda and he was just like, he had so many more things to do before he could get it checked out. He just waited till he got home. And the eye doctor, who's one of the top eye doctors in the country, was like, you are the smartest, dumbest man I've ever met. I can't believe you waited all this time to come to me. He's like, ah. And so she kind of gave him a hard time, and she did six surgeries. It's still maybe coming back. We'll see. But he has a friend, Lex, who has this same problem with his eye. Ten failed surgeries, and by the time he was eight, completely blind in both eyes. So he decided to take up track and field. What an attitude, right? He became, is one of the world champions in the Paralympics. Amazing, right? Track and field. He not only took up track and field, but pole uh, vaulting. Why and how? Because he has a coach that he trusts. He has a voice that he trusts. So he stands next to him. He tells him when to fly. He goes, fly, fly, fly. And on that third one, he goes. So he, I mean, I have goosebumps. It's just so awesome to know that you can trust. And he says, you have someone that you can trust in. You have the voice of Jesus. So learn the voice of Jesus. Learn that voice of the good shepherd. Know that you can trust when to go. You don't need all the green lights. You just need to know when to fly, fly, fly. His attitude is amazing, this Lex. At the world championships of the U.S. Paralympics team, he goes out, he's doing great, he gets a little off course, flies, 
takes a tumble, huge, rips up his, uh, he's all bloody and bruised, rips up his uniform. People thought he would, I mean, they didn't know if he was even going to be okay. He went out, got medical attention. They put a new uniform on him, and he said in track, it's last set or last one, best one. Right, so the coach talked him back out, getting back out on the field, do it again. He trusted, he could have used that opportunity when he fell and made a mistake and took a tumble to quit, to be a victim. Oh, God made me blind, complain. Uh, I'm so, you know, I'm so, whatever. He could have beat himself up. He could have quit. All these things, it's his attitude that he got back up. And he went back out there and he won the competition. That's the attitude of a winner. Just remember that you can trust that even if you get off course and you fall, you can get back on course and you can still listen to that voice of Jesus. You know you can trust it. It's okay if you get off course. It's okay to come back. Okay, up next, three minutes at a time. This is when I was telling you about Adrian. He says, friendships are made Uh, let me say this. Friendships can last a lifetime, but we can make them three minutes at a time. And I feel like I have a lot of girlfriends like that, just especially doing group fitness. I feel so thankful that I have a lot of girlfriends that I see three minutes at a time here and there. And you build these friendships over the four, five, six, eight years together that you all have that too. That someone that you see on a weekly basis or a bi-weekly basis that's only three or four minutes. But he said he got really close to this one TSA agent. A lot of them, but one he writes about is Adrian. And he gets really close to even his family. He knew when he was buying a house. They were all, you know, he would always congratulate him on big wins. And they stayed close in those three minutes at a time because he flies so much. And one day his wife calls, Adrian's wife called Bob and was like, Adrian's gone. He was like, Adrian's gone. Let's go find him. And she was like, no, he's gone. He died unexpectedly. He was like only 60 and he just passed away unexpectedly. So sad. So they helped the family, but he said, maybe we don't have to ask why all the time. He goes, I don't know why Adrian was taken so soon. I don't know why Carol had to die. I don't know why all of these things. All I know is we just have to show up in people's lives and love like what if there is no tomorrow? What if, I mean, we, we just have to love like that. Like it's always, or I shouldn't say it's always, but it's not forever. It's just those three minutes that you have with them. It's so special. So don't take it for granted. He says, um, Adrian, maybe in heaven, excuse me, maybe in the line to heaven <laughs> as an analogy, just cute. There's a guy like Adrian asking whether they find their real identity. Like, who do you find your identity in? Is it Jesus or who are you saying you're being? Are you posing? So he kind of goes back to that again. Are you really who you said you were? So, because he talks about losing his ID and everything like that and how he could prove who you were. Like, how can you prove who you are? And who are you? Sometimes I think we think we're somebody, but we haven't even analyzed, like, who am I? What is my identity rooted in? So just remember if somebody was at the line checking your identity, how would they prove who you are? I I think that's cute. Carl's dive. Uh, We were, we are not held back by what we don't have, but what, what, excuse me, let me say it again. We're not held back by what we don't have. We're held back by what we don't use. And I love this. He talks about Carl, who's this A-class, top, um, 
athlete in high school, just creme de la creme, amazing athlete, and he's always flirting and ha being a class clown and teasing the girls, and he decides one day they're all at the lake, and he's going to do um, a huge, he jumped over them and was like, ah! and he accidentally, he didn't realize that it was shallow water, so he had a very severe spinal cord injury and after 40 hours it swelled so much that he couldn't even speak anymore and he was completely paralyzed from the hands and the feet completely all the way down and he could only use a straw to steer his uh, wheelchair and everything or scooter he talks about how Carl went on to become so successful. He met him in law school. He was one of the top lawyers, made huge changes in our law, um, in our justice system. And he is like incredible, huge disciple of Jesus, found Jesus in um, college, the first year of college as a freshman and brought so many people to Christ and just had a great way of loving others and making people feel loved. And he even took them on a balloon, a hot air balloon ride, his friends for graduation, even though he couldn't go, he wanted to see them do something that he couldn't do and have fun. I mean, sweet stories like that. He says, just remember though, that his body followed where his head went. So where is your head? Remember that we're called to take every thought captive and we, what we think about, we bring about. So what are you focused on? Because your head, where your head goes, your body follows. Where you land, where you turn your head and where you land could either be a great success or a big disaster. So just make sure to be cognizant of what you're doing, what you're thinking of, where you're going. He talks about shallow waters and the deep, deep love of Jesus. Shallow waters, of course, you don't want to land there. Shallow relationships, shallow things, um, shallow TV. I mean, whatever it is, you know what's shallow in your life and you know what's deep. And I think we all have, it's a personal journey for sure. Land the plane. <laughs> God doesn't give us all the details because he trusts us. It kind of like is that uh, the green light thing. Another plane story, he's flying the plane with Adam. This guy is like the best dad ever. He decided Adam's senior year, he was uh, in all these goofy classes, just basically time sp uh, space keepers, you know what I mean? Like cleaning erasers and art and whatever. He was just like, oh my gosh, the kid is so bored. He's a smart, bright kid, but like, this is ridiculous. So they put him in some top level classes, smart, like, um, you know, advanced classes till noon. He pulled him out at noon every day and they went and got his pilot's license which I think is so cool. They did it together. He learned how to fly. They have a little place in Canada and they can fly their little beaver. It's what it's called, a beaver plane to like get groceries. They have to fly in and out of this little house, this cabin that they have. So Adam was learning how to drive or fly that. And he flew one day, Bob was flying, flew into this really tight, um, where the trees are tight, I guess you would call that, I don't know what, cove, I guess a cove, and it's a very tight landing. It's very close, he's like, should we fly into the lake today? He was like, dad, no, and he was like, oh, we're doing it, and so he flies in, you can tell where Adam gets his adventurous spirit, <laughs> and they land, he was like, now you'll get us out of here, he was like, what? I'm not, I mean, uh. and so, he says, remember that God gives us tasks. Like once he takes you there, it's because he knows you can get out. You're well equipped. You can do this. And he said, he didn't need, he knew how to get us out. He knew. I reminded him one time, remember we have to get to 52 miles an hour 
Which I'm even surprised he said that. But he has to get to 52 miles an hour before he gets up. Besides that, he said nothing. By the speed up, the descent, the whatever. Otherwise, they would land in the trees. And his son already knew that. He goes, that's what God does for us too. He gives us full throttle. We have free will to make decisions and to glorify God in everything we do. But also to make decisions that are living an amazing, awesome life. Making the fullest or going to the fullest of every opportunity that we've been given. So if God lands us into a lake and says, get out, we can. That alone says that we do have the, the power to get out of that. And so he totally did. He, Adam rocked it, got right out. And um, <laughs> he says, we don't need more words. We just need an opportunity. Sometimes people around you just need an opportunity. They don't need more coaching. They don't need more words. They already have their, they already have everything under control. He doesn't, God doesn't always take us the easy or safe route. He takes us the one where we will grow. And I love that. Adam, he said, flew in as an 18-year-old and flew out as a man. Isn't that cute? I mean, he totally grew in that situation, in that opportunity. We don't need more instructions. We need someone who believes in us. Isn't that true? Isn't there that some person in your life that believed in you? And man, it made all the difference. They didn't tell you how to do it. They didn't instruct you. They didn't give you more words. They believed in you. And boy, it's awesome. Okay, what grace costs? Grace to him, he says, costs $9.95 because he gives his phone number in the back of all of his books. And you can call him. There's his number right there. And you can give him a call or a text anytime. And um, he probably gets millions. I mean, he sold like over a million copies of Love Does. I'm like, wow. Okay, so he says that all these jail cell inmate, inmates call him and they're asking him to do favors. Like one time he bought a guy's uh, ankle bracelet. I mean, the whole thing, it's just funny. He's like, I need a bracelet. He's like, okay, he went down and bought it for him. I mean, things like that. He's like, I'm always trying to help these guys. They need the love. Sometimes people don't answer their phone calls anymore. But he says, to him, it's 9.95. Like, who's gonna call you? Always take the call. Always be available. He says, Jesus didn't give us. Um, well, let me read it. He says, it's Jesus is available. That's what it is. Is that Jesus is available? So you want to make sure that you're available. Jesus is always available. He'll always take your call, and he loves it when you call. He loves us. <laughs> you are the. Are you the victim or the hero of your story? We've talked about that before, and it's important that you're not the victim. You're not always the victim in every situation you're in. But he says, actually, the problem with both of those, the hero and the victim, is that it's all about you. So remember that who is the story really about? The problem with that is it takes the focus off of Jesus. You are just tree number four. And what he means by that is he was a uh, tree in Peter Pan, that was his, in the play in high school, he was just tree number four. He was like, no lines, no nothing, you're just tree number four. Just remember that. In this thing, it's all about God anyway, and so quit making it all about you. I think that's really cool. My bucket, he talks about. Uh, patience, he read some storybook, an elementary school storybook. I've never, I, it doesn't ring a bell to me, but it was about a bucket and putting in whatever you need. Like putting what you need more of, filling your bucket first and being able to pour from it. So what he needs is patience. He says he's a very impatient person and he asks, how is your life working out for the, those around you? He said, my impatience was making my family 
crazy. It was creating anxiety and hustle and fuss, and it was making them uneasy when I could just have more patience and that would help a lot of people. Yes, I'm not responsible for their feelings and I get that. But then again, you know you have that friend that's so wonderful to be around. They're so easy going, they're so easy to be around, they're so easy to love, they love you effortlessly and unconditionally. You do wanna be a person like that. You wanna be that person in everyone's life, right? We, we talked about that earlier, being the sunshine in someone's life rather than being that impatient guy. So he talks about filling up his bucket of patience, which I think is super cute. He also talks about going to a crock drop. He gets a call, would you like to come to a crock drop at our church? And he was like, a crock drop? I'm in. So he goes and he's like, where are the crocodiles? He's like, crocodiles? This is a crock drop. He was like, oh. So they were bagging potatoes. <laughs> the ones that had gotten passed over that he wanted to make sure that got to feed the families in the communities. So he says, that often people will ask him, what church do you go to? And he says, we are the church. Remember that this is our church. We are the church. He says, I'm not trying to be sassy, but that night while we were bagging potatoes, that was the church. That We were all united. And he says that unity, Jesus called us to be united, but unity doesn't mean sameness. And I love that. Unity doesn't mean sameness. We don't have to be the same to be united and to be in love. I think that is so powerful. For me it was. <laughs> be not afraid. He says it again. Be not afraid. When you have all the power, you don't need all the words. What if we weren't afraid anymore? He talks about going to Uganda because as you know, he's the, uh, what did I say earlier? Let me read it on the back of this. He's the honorary consul for the Republic of Uganda to the United States. So with that said, he is um, over there a lot. He gets over there one day and he's just like, I want to meet with the chief justice of Uganda's Supreme Court. And they're like, well, who are you? He was like, I'm Bob. And they're like, no. And so he is able to talk his way into it and tell them why and whatever. And they're like, okay, sure, he'll see you right now. And he's like, awesome. That was totally like, it was on a whim. He just had confidence like this. When you have all the power, you don't need all the words. He didn't really come with a script or he just was able to get in. Anyway, they have a major problem in Uganda with kids being abducted and taking like over thousands of kids, over a thousand kids a year are taken away, little ones. And witch doctors um, are, are taking them to take away their, they take them and they cut off their private parts and leave them for dead. It's a real true horrific problem over there. And that's one of Love Doves' big problems or big um, fights. And so he goes over there and he's like, we have a major problem. He's talking to this chief supreme, uh, chief justice of Uganda Supreme Court. And he's like, what are we going to do about this? What can we do? Thousands of kids are getting abducted and dying. He's like, we're just so scared of these witch doctors. We don't know what to do. I mean, because they have like voodoo dolls and they would, they're all believing in this witchcraft magic. So the police and everybody didn't want to pursue. It, it was like becoming this major problem. And they're losing a lot of kids. And it's, first of all, terrifying, but also devastating. He said, what if you just had no fear? I'm not afraid of these witchcraft. Because he was like, I don't believe in witchcraft, so I'm not afraid. You let me have one. 
if you catch one, the next one you catch that a child lives, then I get to, I get to put them in the slammer. I get to do a case, have a case or whatever it's called. So they did that later that year, Charlie was abducted about eight years old, a witchcraft or a witch, uh, what am I trying to say? A witch doctor cut off his private parts and left him in the bush for dead. He lived, I guess being a little bit older, he was able to survive. He remembered, they called Bob, he flew right there. They had the court case and they put the guy away for life or for a death sentence actually, death row. And his name is Cobby or KB or I'll just call him Cobby. And he said something started working in him that basically courage comes in all sizes. When Cobby went up, Basically, Charlie had to witness against him and face the guy that tried to kill him. Eight years old, was able to do this. And when he got done, Bob was like, I'm so proud of you. You're so courageous. You're so brave. He gave his testimony. They were able to put him away. He then talks about how the fact that something started changing in him. If I'm supposed to love my enemies, now I have a real enemy. He's like, I never had a real enemy before that. But I love Charlie. And that guy tried to kill Charlie. That guy has killed several innocent babies. And lots of witch doctors over there. So I'm like, I have enemies now. Real ones. And you're telling me I have to love my enemies? I can't make sense of this. I don't know how on earth I could love them. So he just had this yearning, this persistent push in his spirit to go and see Kabi in the, in prison, maximum security, go visit him. He was like, may I see Kabi? He was like, no, this is maximum security. By this time, there are over 3000 men in this on death row, death row inmates trying to go. And he finally gets in and he tells Kabi, uh, basically he's just trying to talk to him and he, Kabi says he needs forgiveness. They talks about forgiving him and uh, tells him about the gospel and starts helping him. Kabi then starts helping other inmates getting to understand about Jesus and change their um, witchcraft and learn about love and learning about loving each other and forgiving each other and accepting forgiveness and changing their whole lives. He goes back with like his sons and they wash each other's feet even. I mean, this is like real stuff. Then he asks them what they need, and he was like, what we need, witch doctors, we need a school. We need education. None of us know how to read or write. And often, I think it's a famous quote, when we know better, we do better. He taught them they have a school for witch doctors. Of course, they're not teaching witch doctor stuff. They're not teaching witchcraft. They're teaching ABCs, the Bible, and Love Does. Those are the three books they get to read. And it's crazy because they're all becoming more, they've set up sting operations and they've uh, even helped get other witch doctors in the act and save kids. They're like, Bob, we know that someone stole a kid. Like I have goosebumps right now. They stole it from the mom. We know where he is in the bush. Should we go get him? He's like, go get the kid. And he's like, later he got a text. We got the kid. Love does. Isn't that awesome? I have goosebumps everywhere. That These are witch doctors that were formerly getting kids because you can get them. They would sell, they would go get kids for 35, 40 bucks. 
for these potions and things like that. And I know it's horrifying. I don't mean to talk so lightly about it, but that's his big mission. And in other words, teaching these people how to love and teaching them how to read and write, he's educating these people and helping them feel forgiven and giving them hope to do better. That's saving millions and millions of lives. Then Kabi was bringing other people. He was giving a sermon. He said it was the best worst sermon I've ever heard. It was so chopped up. I've never heard the Bible so distorted in my whole life. And other people were like crying and receiving. He said he took a bottle of water and was baptizing his friends. He's like, you can't baptize anything. He's like, zip. Why can't he? Why can't he? And then Kabi walks up to him and he's like, Bob, I forgive you. He's like, forgive me. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's just like... But he said, it's funny because I think Kabi understood. You cannot be forgiven if you don't first forgive. I mean, he got it, right? We have to forgive others and we have to be forgiven. Or we have to forgive others to be forgiven. It's the law of forgiveness. And so he said it was just so sweet. I was so stunned. I've learned so much about the Bible. You might be wondering about Charlie. This is where we end tonight is Charlie is, um, after that, Charlie's dad was already gone, long gone, for a long time. A lot of these kids are abandoned by their parents in general, but especially the dads are gone. They, the mom, after what had happened to him, being mutilated that way, the mom was very distanced from him and was probably ashamed and didn't know what to do. He gets a call from Randy, one of the top surgeons who had heard about Love Does and the organization. Randy is one of the top surgeons in the entire world and can put tendons and everything back together. He calls Bob and is like, I heard about the kid in Uganda. I can fix him. He's like, I don't think you know, Randy, what happened to this kid. Like, it's unfixable. He's like, not for me. Meet me. He was like, I'll meet you. He has an office, by the way, in Disneyland. So he was like, okay, I'll meet you. So, and he teaches at Pepperdine, and that's where he has his office hours is at Disneyland. Anyway, that's so cute. Okay, so they meet for a meeting and he draws he says i would probably it was the most graphic thing i've ever gone through watching on this how they're gonna fix but he was gonna be able to take veins and skin and tissue from his legs to be able to put him back together he said i will give him real parts and he will look completely normal that way kids won't make fun of him he won't be ashamed he can live a normal childhood and a normal adult life but he won't be able to have kids i can't quite fix that but i can make him look whole again. I can give him wholeness. And what that chapter is, is God can restore what he creates. So remember, no matter what you've been through, God can restore it. They restored Charlie, but by the way, to get Charlie to him, Bob is, Bob adopted him. So he's Bob's fourth kid, which I think is so sweet. So Bob adopted Charlie and every year Bob takes his, or every 10, when the kid turns 10, for every kid on their 10th birthday, gets to go on a uh, vacation with dad. So Lindsay got to go to London. She chose London. Richard chose uh, the Half Dome. Have you heard of that? Right, going on the Half Dome or climbing the Half Dome. I don't know what that is. Uh, Adam chose riding across the desert on dirt bikes. And this is a 10 year old. Guess what Charlie chose? To climb Mount Kilimanjaro. How cute is that? Amazing, right? So they gear up, they get a tour guide, and they're going with a you know, whole team, the whole backpacks. It's 40 miles up. I mean, it's a big deal. And, of course, you take it over a week or however long, and you have altitude and whatever. 
Bob says that just remember when you're climbing any mountain, as we all are, stay really close to your guide. He goes, I just knew I could do anything if I stayed close to my guide. I did everything my guide did. I stepped right behind him when he went over a rock. Even if I wanted to go around a rock, I went over the rock. If he went around a rock, I went around the rock. It doesn't matter if he's going around or over. I did exactly what my guide did. And even if I tripped or stumbled a little bit, I bumped only into my guide. I was that close. He said, that's Jesus. Be so close to your guide that no matter what, you're right there. That if you stumble and you fall, you're, you're right there. Well, he, he went to the very top. When they came down, Charlie had made his personal summit at however high. And he had nine medals. I told you, he carries those medals with him everywhere. He had nine medals. And he spoke truth and affirmation over Charlie. He didn't tell him how far he was going to go. He told him, look at how far you've come. Look at how brave you are. Look at how courageous you are. I give you this medal for coming this far. I give you this medal for being brave. I give you this medal for being strong. I give you this medal. And he just loaded him up with medals. And that's what we're supposed to do with people in our lives is no need to tell them how far they should go, talk about their potential. Sometimes that can hurt people's feelings. No need to tell them where they've been. You made this mistake and that mistake and whatever. Just say, look how far you've come. And you're so brave and courageous and all these things that you can speak over them. I'll send you all those I am statements again, but you'll, you'll know you can even speak those over somebody. Like, for instance, if somebody's going through a hard time, just remind them that they are a child of God. Or remind them that Christ chose them to bear fruit. That's powerful. That's huge. Those are I am statements that you can speak over your friends and family or enemies too. I mean, over anybody, uh, you can speak love and truth. So with that, let's close with a quick word of prayer and I'll get us out of here. God, thank you so much for this time together. Thank you for Bob and this awesome book he wrote and all of these great stories. Thank you for what you've taught us through the stories of, um, Carol and Sweet Maria and all the kids and Cobby and Charlie and everyone. God, thank you so much for these girls here tonight. Thank you for letting us gather in your name and learn more about how to love everyone always. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Oh, that's so good.